Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Marissa Ellis. She's the founder of Diversely. It's a consultancy that offers courses in diversity and inclusion and the incorporation of both of them to leadership. I'm really interested to learn more about the origins of Diversely, her previous life in tech, and any benefits she's gotten from public speaking. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interviews, Marissa. Hi, Neil. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So from the bit of, of research I did on you, I saw that you studied math in school. What was the motivation for studying math? Yeah, great question. And I guess it's um, it's sort of connected to the Teach the Geek thing. So I guess at, at my heart, I've always been a, a bit of a geek. Um, and you know, for, for me, it was something that I was good at. I sort of had a natural talent for it. Um, and what I liked about maths was that there was always a solution. There was always a right answer. Um, unlike some other subjects where you had to kind of craft an essay and you, you kind of, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't quite so black and white. What I loved about maths was this idea that you were solving problems and you were finding the solutions. Um, and I sort of naturally, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And I, and I, I liked the sort of the, um, the clarity of it. So yeah, so I ended up uh, going to Bristol University, uh, which was a real, real pleasure. It's, it's really changed my life actually being, being in Bristol and Bristol is now my hometown. So it kind of had a long lasting impact on me um, being in Bristol. So then you graduate and now you have to figure out what kind of work you're going to do. What kind, what kind of work did you get into when you finished school? So I ended up um, getting into the tech sector. So I was at, at university, I was in my, in my final year um, house, and I got this phone call from a, from a lady who I'd never heard of before, whose name was Martha Lane Fox, who you may know is now sort of, you know, infamous for starting lastminute.com. And she's gone on to do, you know, her achievements are, you know, incredible in terms of what she's, the inspiration that she's had on, on many people and the, the change that she's, um, uh, that she's led. Um, and she said she was starting an internet company and, you know, would I, would I, she'd seen my CV because I'd applied to a strategy consulting firm and would I be interested in coming to talk to her? So I went and had a chat. Uh, it turns out the company was lastminute.com um, and I worked for lastminute.com as my first job. Um, I wasn't there for, for, for a long, um, for a long stint because I was always going to go traveling. So I went, I went, um, I went traveling and then I came back and I started my career in the tech sector. So I, I started at Reuters Consulting. Um, and I've gone on to have various different roles in the tech sector, either doing services delivery or, or product um, based roles. Um, and I, I sort of went on to become, I sort of made my way up the, up the ladder, so to speak. And I, and I went on to become a head of product for a number of different software companies. And then one day I was in my office um, and I was pregnant with my first child and I was desperately trying not to, not to feel ill because I was having a, a bit of a, a tricky time and I was I was called into my boss's office and I was told that actually I was being made redundant and as were um, 
a number of other people in my team and various other people in the company. The company was massively downsizing. So the good news is it was nothing personal. The bad news is um, it was, you know, that was the end for me. And um, that really changed, changed my, my thinking and my, my life in the sense that as a, as someone who was pregnant, it was very difficult for me to go back out into the, into the job market, you know, and sort of say, yeah, I'm, I'm available, but not for very long because I'm about to have a, have a child. And, and it was at that point I set up as an independent consultant and I've been an independent consultant ever since then. Um, and, uh, and about two years or so ago, I started Diversely. Oh, wow. So the independent consulting started well, or, or essentially because of your pregnancy. So are you saying that if you weren't pregnant at that time, you would have just looked for another job? I, th- I think that would have been exactly what would have happened. You know, when I started looking for, for opportunities, I, I, I just didn't feel that I was going to be successful. You know, I had this, this kind of growing bump and I, I didn't feel that I had the, you know, I, I guess I also didn't know what my world was going to look like um, and, and it opened my eyes to a lot of the challenges that are out there in, in the real world in terms of you know people either making assumptions about what people do or don't want and also the the challenges of balancing parenting with with looking for work and you know it worked out really well for me you know I've been able to I was at a, a stage in my career where I was very very successful and very senior so I was able to forge a, a consulting practice because I had lots of expertise to share for people who maybe were, were younger or did, had less experience I think it would be a really it's you know it's a very challenging experience and I think we're all we all grow stronger through the negative things that happen in our lives you know the adversity makes us stronger so you know I've taken it and I've I've used it as a sort of positive influence um, and, and my, my sort of starting diversely wasn't something I did back then because then I was just trying to find my own headspace and my own kind of way forward. Now that my children are a bit older and they're at school and I've got time to, ref- I had time to reflect, I started realizing this wasn't just about me. This wasn't just something that was happening to me in isolation. There were trends, there were trends across the industry, across the world where people are being excluded um, and as a result of that, as industries, we're, we've got blind spots because we're not we're not um, inviting a diverse um, group of people into our companies, into our leadership teams, uh, into us, into the rooms that are making the decisions. And that was really my inspiration for starting Diversely is to say, do you know what? There's a better way. Um, there's the, we, we need to think differently about the way that we the way that we recruit, the way that we lead. Um, and now my my mission is around helping people to develop their inclusive intelligence it's about helping people to understand how to think inclusively and how diversity of thought and background and experience can help us build better products build better services uh, create better offerings and and you know drive things that companies want to drive like customer experience like bottom line revenue and like innovation so that's my my sort of mission at the moment and it's it's connected to helping organizations drive strategic change the work that you did when you were an employee in the tech industry, was it what you expected it to be, just being in that industry? Um, I guess you don't know. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I personally really enjoyed working in the tech industry, and I still love working in the tech industry. I think, I think it's become even more exciting because technology has, has um, infiltrated, if you like, all aspects of our lives. So there's a real opportunity to create solutions to real kind of world problems um, and technology is a great enabler so I find it a really exciting place to be I think there's lots of opportunity um, I think that the, the industry I'm now seeing some of the cracks that I maybe didn't notice when I first went into the industry so if you say is it what, what I expected I, I guess I 
wasn't surprised to be you know one of the only females in the room constantly um and I, I just sort of took that as well that's just the way it is you know that's how it was on my course there weren't that many you know female people studying maths with me it was just the way it was and I guess I now question that and challenge that and say well actually there's reasons for that and actually we, we need to actively try and change those things. Eventually well you mentioned that you you started as an independent con contractor because you, you fell pregnant but eventually you gave birth to your child and it got and your and your your son or daughter got to an age where perhaps you could have gone back and and, and worked in an, in an industry but you decided to stay an independent contractor what was the i guess the the reasons for that um i guess i guess i really enjoy what i do i mean being being a consultant is is demanding and challenging because you have to go into organizations and you have to immediately deliver value um, and I, and I, I really enjoy that. I really like the fact that I work with a real range of different organizations and I can take my learnings from, um, from public sector, from private sector, from charitable organizations. And that blend, that mix, that diversity actually gives me more insights and it enables me to offer more value to the clients that I work with. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I really enjoy what I do. I, I, you know, it's always been a consideration if the right job comes along. And I guess now that I've started diversely, um, I want to grow that. I want, you know, I've created some really, really valuable tools and there are organizations around the world who are using the change canvas and some of the other tools to drive positive change. So really my mission now is around helping those organizations, helping leaders, helping entrepreneurs and change makers make the change that they want to see a reality um, and using the, the tools that I've created. So for, when it comes to diversity, what services do you offer your clients? Um, so it, it's, it's kind of in three, um, three areas. One is around leadership development, and it's specifically around inclusive leadership development. So it's around helping leaders lead inclusively, helping them to change their mindsets and think about how they can build inclusive thinking, inclusive intelligence into the way they lead. Um, the other area is around strategic change. And this is around so the, the change canvas is a, is a really simple visual framework, but it's also a methodology. It's a philosophy for getting work done. So I work with organizations to help them change the way that they get their work done so that the way that they, as a team, are prioritizing what they want to do, defining their vision for what they want to do and keeping on track on all the actions, all the initiatives that they're working through to achieve their results and, and helping them to build an inclusive culture that enables people to share ideas and people to have open and bold and honest conversations to iteratively drive innovation, to drive inclusion, and ultimately to drive positive change. So the second area is around this, this um, consultancy and support around strategic management. And then the third area is around leveraging the um, diversity toolkit to drive positive action. So there are a number of tools in, in the toolkit and organizations are using it for, to, to look at areas of their business to say, how can, how can we be more inclusive? So I recently worked with an organization who were looking at specifically at their recruitment process. And we ran a series of workshops where we brought in different people and we used the toolkit and the frameworks in the toolkit to come up with ideas for how they could become more inclusive. So it's really about driving inclusive action. So it's the three areas, as I say, one's around leadership, inclusive leadership, one's around strategic management and the other's around driving inclusive action. When it comes to inclusion, because the cultures of companies differ, do you approach inclusion differently from company to company? 
yeah i mean the 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 philosophy is the same in the sense that what you're trying to do is to create a value an environment where everyone can thrive and feel like they belong but the nuances is in the detail of the company and and i think that's actually a really important point that the the diversity toolkit is essentially it's a discovery toolkit it's a way of helping organizations ask the right questions so that they can find the answers that are right for them i think a lot of organizations or leaders are saying okay what's what's the answer is it 63 great the answer 63 we'll 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 write that down and then we'll we'll have solved the problem and and that it's not it doesn't work like that you, you you know you're so right in the sense that each organization needs to find the the path that's right for them and and there are a whole bunch of um that i've got a, a framework that helps you understand you know what, what does breast practice look like what are some of the typical things that organizations are doing but picking the ones that are right the priorities for your organization will be different for every organization and there's also something about co-creation so there was a, a study done it's called the ikea effect i don't know if you've, you've come across it but people were asked to build um furniture ikea furniture and then they were asked to value the furniture and then some other, another group, a sort of test group, were asked to just value the furniture but not build the furniture. And what they found was that the people who, who built the furniture placed a high, higher value on the furniture because they'd been part of it. They kind of really knew what it was about. Um, and you, you kind of see this in, in organizations where if people are part of the change, if they, if they feel like they co-created the ideas, they're going to help to make those ideas a reality. If you just come in and say, right, from tomorrow we're doing it like this, it's a very very different dynamic so so it's all really around co-creation and opening up conversations and encouraging bravery courage um, but also commitment uh, to to driving positive change whether you build the furniture or not ikea furniture isn't valuable They know it. <laughs> they just won't it's tell true. It. <laughs> it's true. But everyone's got it, right? Yeah. It yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody, especially when you're starting out in life, just left your parents' house, can't afford anything, you know, Ikea. anything good. Rent to Ikea, you go. So, <laughs> <laughs> are, are, do you believe that every person is, or yeah, every person be, should be able to belong at any company? Um. No, I don't. I don't think I do. I think I think that um, each company has its own has its own values and has its own aspirations. And I think it's about a deeper connection in terms of purpose and value. And I think if you've got, I think you can have people from different ethnicities, ages, backgrounds, cultures, um, races, or um, gender sexualities all of these things i think every people who are very different from each other can all come together with a shared set of values and can achieve a huge amount together but if if for example you go into an organization and they're you know they're on a mission to um i don't know to 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 make money more money in asset finance and that's not something that you're into then no i don't think that you're you know going to have a deep connection so i th- so i think it's I, I think it's a very personal thing i think it's about a, cult- a company proactively and intentionally creating a culture and defining what that culture is and then creating an environment so that people who connect with the deep values and the purpose of that organization can can thrive in that environment and people can come in being very different to each other but being connected well yeah because when i was, when I was thinking about it you know the of course as I mentioned, the culture is going to be different at, at various places. So, if you're a, some, if you're at a company where perhaps you don't really fit that culture, should the company be doing something to make you feel more included, 
or should you just go look, work at a company where you feel included from the jump? Yeah, and, and that's, a really, that's a really interesting one because sometimes actually the company culture is broken and the company culture doesn't realize that actually it, you know, it's, the, it's the able-bodied white male people of a certain age that are all fitting in and naturally you know, gelling and it's the people in the minorities who aren't fitting in because there is only one black person in the team, there's only one female in the team, there's only one Jewish person in the team and, and that's not an inclusive culture, you know, that, that, that's not something where people are all uh, fitting in and gelling. But, but equally, if, if it just so happens that you're not connected to the mission and the purpose and the soul of that organisation, you don't have shared values, then you know, they're, they're two separate things. So, so I think, you know, you, you, there's a distinction between a, a, a culture that's not inclusive and, you know, me thinking there's every single company in this world I would fit in perfectly with because, we, you know, we all have different ways of working and different, different styles, different aspirations. And, you, you know, you, there's got to be a fit um, as well as there being this, this kind of inclusive environment where everyone who is there who has this fit can still thrive and have their voices heard and contribute to the best of their abilities. When it comes to the companies that you work with, I know you, you go in there and you know, based on the three buckets, you, you work with them. Is there any type of, of follow-up to see if whatever they're doing is, is working? Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the sort of the, the methodology and the idea of the change canvas is it's about a continuous, iterative, ongoing process. It's not, so whether you're using it for strategic management or whether you're using it specifically for diversity and inclusion, it's not a one-off thing. You don't just, you know, you can use the, the you know, the, you can use the change, change canvas to run a workshop and it's a great tool because it helps you think about the different elements of change and you, you step away from the workshop and, you know, job's done. But, but really it's about embedding it as a way of continuously challenging yourself to say, what are we trying to achieve now and how are we going to do that? And what have we succeeded in and what haven't we succeeded in and what's next? Uh, and iteratively, constantly driving that change. So, it, it's not about kind of going in once it's about helping organizations to, to build this in both and, and build in this idea of inclusion build it in as this it's not we've got a network somewhere for um for for ethnic minorities or women or you know whatever it may be and you know grouping all ethnic minorities together in itself is is problematic um it, it's about building this inclusive way of thinking into everything that you're doing so it becomes just embedded it becomes a, a part of the way that you operate yeah for sure so is it ever possible for a company to be inclusive or is it something that they're always reaching for but may likely never achieve i i think it is possible for a company to be inclusive but i think it's unlikely that you will maintain an inclusive culture if you don't proactively try i think if you just let it slide people will start to feel excluded because you, it will, you'll naturally gravitate to the masses. You'll naturally gravitate to the path of least resistance. So I think, I think the, the message is that, you know, culture building is intentional. It, it, you know, cult, cultures are defined by the behaviors of the people and we need to constantly be reflecting on those behaviors and understanding how it makes people feel. So one of the workshops that I run is called the emotions of change. Um, and we and we go on a journey through the change canvas. It's it's a it's a great workshop actually. It's an hour and a half long, um, sort of short short and sweet, but it really gets people thinking about some of the un, unspoken emotions that we we experience when we're at work, both positive and negative, and getting people to think about the emo, emotional culture that you you hold as a team, and how you can be intentional around that, and how and how your behaviours can influence that culture. Um, so so it's about 
helping um helping people to to be more intentional in the way that they behave and how and be more aware of how their behaviors might affect other people um so yeah so as i say i, d I don't think i think if you give it no attention at all it, you you will it will slip down and you will not continue to maintain an inclusive culture yeah uh, interesting so when it comes to the, the work you do, obviously public speaking is, is, is involved with it. Is that something you've always been good at? And if not, what'd you do to get better at it? So you're absolutely right. I mean, I think public speaking is, it's how to get your voice out. It's how to be heard. And I think there are a lot of technical people who are great at writing code, but they're not so great at sharing their ideas. And actually to get ahead in business, you need to be able to share your ideas because that's how you get buy-in. That's how you get support. That's how you get your voice heard. That's how you get um, people to recognize you and, and, and reward you for, for your contributions. Um, so for me personally, it's not something that comes particularly naturally to me. I'm, I'm an absolute, I'm an introvert. So, you know, the idea of sort of going on stages, speaking into microphones um, it, it is a, you know, kind of a ter terrifying thought, but it's something that I've embraced to say, do you know what, this is, this is part of, part of business. And it's something that I need to, I need to get good at. Um, and I think for me, the, the sort of the one bit of advice that has really helped me certainly as an introvert is um, to think not about myself, but to think about the audience. And I think as soon as you start thinking about the audience, it changes everything because the audience do not want someone to come on stage and look really awkward and um, feel a bit embarrassed and look down at their shoes. It makes the audience feel awkward. So, and if you go out there thinking about the audience and what do they want to hear and what, you know, for me, it's about two words. It's about audience value. So I kind of connect this. I, I mentioned before that I'm a product person and, you know, as a product person, you're always thinking about the value proposition. What's the product? What's the offer? What are the problems you're trying to solve? Where's the value? Um, and I think the same is true of public speaking. You've got to think about the audience value. If you think about what do the audience want to get out of this? It can drive absolutely everything that you can do. It changes the way that you behave because you, you, that the audience wants someone who's confident. The audience wants someone who, who knows what they're talking about. So you, you become that person. The audience wants clarity. The audience wants to know what they should do next. So they need a call to action. Um, so it really helps you think about what do they need and then you can, you can kind of give that to them. One of the really interesting um, uh, statistics that I heard was around, so I guess speaking kind of falls into three categories. There's what you say, there's how you say it, and then there's what you do. Um, and the stat that I saw was something like only, and this is kind of phenomenal, but only about 10% of your impact, and this is when you're delivering a, a, a sort of a talk on a stage, um, comes down to what you say. Most of it is around how you say it, so the expression and the way that you say it, and also what you do. So it really makes you think about how actually you've got to be, your content has got to be good. You know, you've got to be really clear in terms of what your content is, but you also really have to think about the way that you're saying it, the way your pace, the, the, the language that you use, the, the tone that you use, um, the expression that you use. Um, there, there was something where they did a, they reviewed all of the TEDx talks and they looked at what, which talks had been most popular. And it turned out that actually there was a massive correlation between popularity and the amount of hand gestures. So it wasn't so much about what the people were saying, but the, the kind of the animation and the hand gestures really seemed to kind of bump up the, um, the, the likes on, the, on these TED Talks. <laughs> so, you know, it's so fascinating. But when you're first starting out, all you're doing is you're thinking about yourself, you're thinking about your experience, and you're thinking about, well, what are the, what are the things I want to tell people? Um, and I think the more practice you get, the more you start 
thinking about, well, what, what's their experience going to be like? And how can I structure these messages? How can I keep my message simple so that they're going to remember it? What are the, what are the key messages that, you know, I want them to walk away with? Because they're not going to remember everything. You know, the other interesting thing is people only remember, you know, two or three things that you say. If you deliver, you know, a presentation for an hour, they'll, you know, the next day they'll remember two or three things. So if you know that, you can say, well, what are those three things? And let me make sure that I mention those in my introduction. I go into detail and then I summarize those things at the end because that's what they're going to remember. When it comes to presentations, do you ever get nervous before them? And if so, how do you deal with your nerves? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the context. I mean, I, I guess I've now been in a lot of different environments when I've been presenting. So, you know, there's sort of meetings where you're leading or there's, you know, large events where, you know, there's hundreds of people there. Um, so I think my level of nerve depends on familiarity in terms of how often, it, you know, I've done it before and, and the impact, you know, potentially who's in the audience. So, yes, I absolutely do kind of feel that. But I, I tend to I tend to channel that energy. And sometimes I... I kind of enjoy it because I, 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 I've, it, it makes it feel a bit more special. You know, if you feel nothing, you, you can kind of maybe be a bit blase about it. So I think it's sometimes about using that nervous energy to, to channel that into um, delivering, you know, delivering a, a better result, delivering a, a kind of more impactful uh, presentation. You've offered some pretty great tips, Marissa, when it comes to public speaking. That last one, channeling nervous energy, I think is a great one. And also thinking about your audience when you're putting your presentations together is an excellent one, too. Are there any other tips that you could offer to help people who want to become more effective at public speaking? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, that, that piece around audience value, I think, is really important. So if you if you think about your audience, you, you know, I think you will do a better job. So some other great tips are things like asking questions, even if those questions are rhetorical, um, can be really helpful because it helps you connect with your audience. It helps you, um, it helps them, you know, you get asked a question. So you think, okay, well, what would my answer be? Even if you're not actually going to be answering it, it, it helps you connect with your audience. Uh, so that's, that's a really nice one. I think simplifying your message, is a really important one so you know if anyone's listening to this and they wake up tomorrow they'll remember audience value you know there's two words audience value great okay what, what am I going to do with that um, so I think that's a really important one and then and then I think it's around um, starting to take the focus off you putting the focus on, on on the audience and that and therefore that can influence the way that you speak and the way that you feel comfortable. So there's, there's, a, there's another great tip that, I, that was shared with me, which is around this idea of, sort of permission to speak. And this was really helpful for me as an introvert, which is if you speak at a certain level um, and you, you, you feel like you're, you're sharing the information that you've got to share, but then you give yourself permission to speak even more and you, and you get much more animated and you start using your hands and it feels like you're going over the top and it feels all a bit much because you're, you know, you're not this kind of animated kind of person and it feels slightly awkward to you that's probably actually the level at which you should be speaking at if you want to get that kind of engagement so it's this idea that what feels comfortable to you is probably one notch below what is actually comfortable for your audience um, and and I, I've personally found that really useful in sort of letting myself kind of let go a little bit relax a little bit into um, certain presentations and maybe give it a bit more kind of animation uh, than I would maybe naturally feel comfortable with nice uh, those are those are great tips. So thank you for offering them. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about things that you're working on? 
Um, not really. I mean, I guess, I guess my message is, you know, we together we can change the world. Um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of um, work to be done, and uh, diversity has got some great tools. So, you know, my 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 message at the moment is around, you know, come come to the diversity website, download the tools. The Change Campus itself is free. Um, as I say, there are, are all sorts of services and workshops and consulting support that I can give organisations that, that want to take advantage of those tools. But there's a lot on there for free. So, you know, I think that there's a real opportunity to drive some positive change. And, and, you know, my mission is to give people, give change makers the tools to enable them to do that. So I encourage all of your listeners to, um, to do that. So you can, you can head to diversely, which is diversity with an L instead of a Y.com, or you can find me on Twitter, which is um, at diversely on Twitter. Um, or you can hunt me out on, on LinkedIn. It's Marissa Ellis on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek Interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course, and it's called Teach the Geek to Speak. You can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Until next time, please take care and stay safe. Thanks, Marissa. Thanks very much for having me.